Family, comrades, and brothers and sisters, I'm the Stormy Poet, and welcome to this edition of the Poetic Justice Podcast, where we utilize the power of literature to combat and eradicate injustice. What does effectively fighting white supremacy on a systemic level actually look like? A question like this probably invokes imagery of some masked protester hurling a brick at a riot police shield, or of some brother or sister in front of a courthouse yelling no justice, no peace over a While both examples in their own right do have some place in the grand scheme of effective resistance, the truth is such actions are of little consequence, even though they are aesthetically impressive and rousing. These stereotypical caricatures of what real freedom fighters look like are glamorous and they look good for the cameras, but they in no way help further anti-racist stratagem and tactics. While it may sound oversimplified, family, the biggest blow you can inflict on this system of injustice is by how you choose to conduct yourself in your own daily life. How you do or don't conduct yourself on a daily basis has consequences on the well-being of other black people. No, you're not out here just, quote, doing your own thing and minding your own business. By default, your day-to-day actions have an influence in determining what the quality of life for other black people is going to look like, whether you like it or not. Now, I know black people are going to squirm at the thought of such a notion, and that's understandable because it's an unfair standard to be burdened with. But the most important lesson we need to accept and embrace as a people is that literally everything about life is completely unfair under the system of racism. One of my favorite examples of this kind of group selflessness in history was the North Vietnamese going against the United States military during the Vietnam War. Here you had a faction that was severely outgunned, even with the weaponry assistance of the Soviet Union, and greatly outnumbered, being as the U.S. sent actual bodies instead of just artillery. And they still managed to pull off one of the biggest upsets in war history. They managed to defeat what was and still is the most powerful military in human existence as a relatively small faction. And just how did this itty bitty faction of this tiny nation who was supposed to be a mere pushover end up twisting the U.S.'s arm behind their back and making them yell uncle? They followed a code of conduct, one they incorporated into their daily lives. And their code of conduct didn't just apply directly to the battlefield. It applied to how they conducted themselves as individuals in their daily lives. And here's a few examples of what was in their code of conduct. Quote, I swear I am prepared to sacrifice for all of Vietnam. I will fight to my last breath against imperialism, colonialism, Vietnamese traitors and aggression in order to make Vietnam independent, democratic and united. I swear to obey absolutely all orders from my commanders, executing them wholeheartedly, promptly and accurately. I swear to fight firmly for the people without complaint and without becoming discouraged, even if life is hard or dangerous. I will go forward in combat without fear and will never retreat regardless of the suffering involved, end quote. Now, this was just three points of the 10 of the Viet Cong Oath of Honor, but I think it adequately drives the point home. Their code required that every soldier hold both each other and themselves accountable on behalf of the cause, even when it came to the most mundane and routine activities they engaged in daily. When it comes to conflicts like the Vietnam and U.S., Haiti and France, the Zulu and Britain, time and time again, all throughout history, we've seen where moving as an on-code entity has enabled the outgunned and the outnumbered to defeat the military superpowers of the world. And that, family, is where the issue of how we as individuals maintain our overall health. Now, I know many of you are asking, what in the heck does health have to do with fighting white supremacy? Let me ask you a better question. How are you going to fight white supremacy if you're not around to do so? Furthermore, how can you school others on how to do so if you're in a useless and decrepit state? Or if you're not here at all, the longer you're around and the healthier your state of mind is, the more likely you'll be and the more time you'll actually have to find what your life's purpose is and how you can be of the most effective use to the group. 
I understand living under white supremacy is nothing short of frustrating and downright degrading. And it's very easy to want to use things like food, drugs and materialism to want to cope and self-medicate. And that's exactly what those who run this sick system are betting on. Both black men and women have had to be strong unnaturally for a very, very long time. And for the most part, we've answered that unfair call for the simple fact we haven't faded from the face of the planet yet. However, in doing so, it's easy to forget the fundamental truth that we are still human beings at the end of the day. Now, while what we've managed to accomplish while being under this constant state of sabotage is nothing short of illustrious, our subconscious desire to operate in a constant state of overexertion doesn't allow any space for self-maintenance. Heck, we as black people really even have the chance to catch our breath long enough to ask if self-maintenance is even the thing we need to do at some point. And that's by design also. Well, family, let me be the first to make this clear if no one has ever told you. Taking care of your health on a holistic level is not, quote, something only white folks do. And you can't, quote, be a strong black man or woman without investing money into healthy eating, without investing time to learn and practice lifestyles to avoid certain diseases, without designating at least one day out of the week where you work on literally nothing, without making it a point to sleep eight hours a night instead of saying silly things like I'll sleep when I'm dead, Without getting yearly checkups, without seeing the doc whenever your body is telling you that there's something wrong, or without exercising for at least an hour and a half, at least six days a week. Being a strong black man means freely and willingly providing your mind, body, and soul with any and everything they need so that they can in turn empower you to accomplish everything you were put on this planet to do. Real black men and women actually seek out therapy to deal with any childhood issues or life trauma before they ever enter into a committed relationship or into parenthood so as to not to detrimentally affect their spouse or their offspring. Real black men and women actually have honest discussions about their sexual history and health before they ever engage in any kind of intercourse with one another. Real black men and women encourage open and honest communication amongst themselves and one another about their mental state. After all, how can we fix any of our problems if we're not able to properly articulate them to one another? And when it comes to things like drugs and alcohol, I'm reminded of a quote from TBA where he said, real men and real women go to rehab. It takes a real black man and a real black woman to actually ask for help. There is nothing about suffering and silence that is honorable. We subconsciously accepted that there's something noble about doing so out of necessity, but that's an overcorrection and it's dishonorable to adopt such a philosophy. And by the way, meditation isn't just something that well-to-do soccer mom Karens do after work. It's an essential practice necessary for preparing your mind to properly rest. This involves cutting off your electronic devices at least two hours before bedtime to minimize how the blue light is negatively altering your natural circadian rhythm. Now, I don't provide these suggestions as if to preach to anyone. I don't come from a place of a high horse, not in the least. Back in my early 20s, I was a perpetual consumer of fast food and canned goods. And I ended up developing debilitating stomach issues because of it. Fast forward to 2021, I worked from home like many of you did and I got hella chunky. Which I have no excuse for other than that I ate and drank because I was flat out bored and stuck at home. Now we're in 2023 and even though I've lost a considerable amount of weight via intermediate fasting, shout out Dr. Sebi, I still ended up in the doctor about a week ago due to issues with high blood pressure. Now, family, I take full responsibility for that because that is absolutely unacceptable and downright disrespectful to all of you listening. I say that because the Honorable Dr. Khalid Muhammad passed away, allegedly, because of a brain aneurysm. Now, while that does sound suspect, I can't deny that speaking out against systemic injustice is one of the most stressful activities one can engage in, speaking from experience. Also, there's our Queen Mother, Dr. Frances Cress Wilson, who also passed due to a stroke. 
Also, there's our queen mother, Dr. Frances Cress Wilson, who also passed due to a stroke. And there have been other black figures who struck significant blows against white supremacy who died in a similar fashion. At the end of the day, though, I know better and I damn sure need to do better. I have absolutely no excuses, especially knowing as much as I know to my immediate family and my black family for my blood pressure being elevated. I hold myself accountable and I'm not going to disrespect all of you by just saying I'm going to do better. I'm just going to do better and then deliver you the results. I don't have the right to push healthy eating, exercising, meditating, or getting therapy if I'm not enacting those practices myself and showing they've worked for me in my own life. In closing, we're human, even though we've been told throughout our lives we're less than and that we experience less pain than our non-black counterparts. Every mortal breaks down and needs maintenance, just like a car or an appliance. Black people need to normalize self-maintenance just like white society does. Black men and women are soldiers by default, whether we like it or not, and our very bodies themselves are weapons. The better you maintain your weapon, the more effective that weapon will be. Fighting white supremacy is not about doing more than the next black person. It's about doing the most you can wherever you're at. That includes taking care of yourself in all areas to the best of your abilities. Your health is your wealth. What good does it do to work your ass off for a good life if you're not even alive to enjoy it or make a difference? Something to think about. One love and one justice, the stormy poet.